If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome, friends, on this second Sunday of Advent from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, You are welcome here. Will you pray with me? Tis the season to believe, Holy One, for our children tell us so. But we are not sure what we are supposed to believe anymore. Lately, it seems that nothing can be believed and not just the weather forecast. Things are much more serious. Broken hearts, broken ceasefires, broken promises. But there is something about this time of year that won't let us fall completely into despair. Maybe it's the children who are so quick to be delighted by simple things. Or perhaps we're not as hopeless as we think. We did, after all, put out the advent wreath and candles. The flames are so small, but it seems we still believe every light matters. We did meet a friend for lunch, though getting out of the house took some doing. It was just a sandwich and tea, but it seems that we still believe in communion. And we did tell the neighbors how delightful it is to turn down the street and see their decorations. So it seems we still believe in wonder. So perhaps we might still also believe in second chances, that all things will be made right, and that love will see us through. We believe. Help our unbelief, Holy One. We pray in the name of love itself. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of the servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors 
and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. We continue on this second Sunday of Advent in the Gospel of Luke. Our storytelling isn't linear, though. We are, however, staying with the main character or one of the main characters from last week, Zachariah. You remembered what happened, but just in case, I'll tell you. The angel appeared to Zachariah to announce that he and Elizabeth, even in their old age, would have a son, to which Zachariah responds, how will I know this is so? The angel Gabriel is wildly offended by this, saying, but now because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. That scene closes and the camera switches to Mary and the conversation she has with an angel and her subsequent visit to Elizabeth. But we will return to that next week. Today, we stick with Zechariah and the difference between last week's text and this week's text is significant. Last week, Zechariah, well, the story ended with him in silence. We're not even sure how he communicated what happened with Elizabeth. This week, though, nearly the entire text is Zechariah not just speaking, but singing. We, we don't know the tune, but verses 67 through 79 are traditionally called the Benedictus. The song is a blessing, a blessing for God, for the child, and for the people of Israel. We go from months of silence to stanzas of sound. And this is like quite an escalation. Perhaps it is just part of the way Luke tells the story. Singing is a particular feature in Luke's gospel. Marcus Borg and Dominic Crossan remind us that Luke's story has three hymns or canticles and though Luke does not call them hymns, they have been sung by Christians for centuries and may have well originated as hymns. The first two, the Benedictus, sung by Zechariah, and the Magnificat, sung by Mary, are long. And the third, sung by the prophet Simeon when Jesus is presented in the, sim the temple, is a little bit shorter. Because each is sung by an individual, um, we might imagine them as three arias, 
In addition to those three arias, a brief song is sung by a chorus of angels in the night sky to stunned shepherds below. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. All of which is to say, Luke really likes singing. <laughs> but even knowing that Luke likes to include lots of song in his retelling, it's still a striking change to go from utter silence to public singing. What is going on here? It could be what theologian Brian McLaren describes as a response to spiritual transformation. The silence was a complete disruption of Zachariah's routine. Old patterns and long-held habits were no longer possible. And that's when spiritual transformation, faith formation, theological curiosity, or whatever you want to call it, happens. It's the process and evolution. And it can be isolating and lonely. But there is something more if we are patient enough to get to the other side. McLaren writes, as you move forward in this process, you may have to politely pass through a crowd of religious company men who tell you to go away because you don't pass their purity test. You may have some old friends reject you and you may struggle to keep accepting them anyway. You may have to find new teachers and mentors who can walk with you towards Christianity's deeper, wider heart. But if you learn to center there, to dwell there, to rest there, you will find a trap door. And if you will, a door that leads into deep darkness. In that darkness, after a long, long silence, you will hear a gentle sound, a faint but beautiful song a mysterious music that beckons you. Perhaps that is what Zachariah heard after his long science, a mysterious music that inspired him to sing. Perhaps you know the feeling, both the quiet that comes when one is in the middle of spiritual transformation, of theological deconstruction, and you know the faint but beautiful song when you begin theological reconstruction and things come into alignment. It is also possible that Zacharias simply couldn't help himself, or as the hymn says, how could he keep from singing? After all, a kind of song is actually written into our bones, our being, for astronomy tells us so. About six months ago in early summer 2023, we heard about a remarkable discovery from scientists who detected a cosmic background of ripples in the structure of space-time. Scientists had proven that gravitational waves from the birth of the universe are rippling through the background of time and space. Rapidly spinning cinders of once massive stars, called pulsars, emit bursts of radio waves so perfectly timed that they serve as one of the universe's most 
accurate natural clocks. Through 15 long years of sweat and perseverance, scientists with the North American Nanohertz Observatory for Gravitational Waves patiently tracked tiny changes in the burst patterns of 67 pulsars scattered across the Milky Way. These scientists found that these ripples were not from one discrete source, but from a din, a hum, the overlapping echoes of disturbances scattered across the universe. If you are like me, all of that information needs translating. I know what the individual words mean, but when they are lined up in that sentence, Adam Frank, a professor of astrophysics at the University of Rochester, explains that this means that the whole universe is humming Actually, the whole universe, he says, is Mongolian throat singing. Every star, every planet, every continent, every building, every person is vibrating along to the slow cosmic beat. Every proton and neutron in every atom from the tip of your toes to the top of your head is shifting, shuttling, and vibrating in a collective purr within which the entire history of the universe is implicated. And if you put your hand down on a chair or table or anything else nearby, that object too is dancing, that slow waltz. All of the sudden, we know that we are humming in tune with the entire universe that each of us contains the signature of everything that has ever been it's all within us, around us, pushing us to and fro as we hurtle through the cosmos. Perhaps Zachariah, in his season of quiet, was able to feel it, to feel the rhythm of the song of the universe, and he started humming along. With that in mind, Today, gifted with a new understanding of the architecture of the universe, each of us has an opportunity to revisit that wonder. Ponder how the solid-seeming ground beneath our feet is quietly shaking with the force of billions of years of cosmic collisions. Go outside, if you can, and watch the wind blow through the trees. Perhaps the experience will be different now that we know how the rhythm of giant black holes in distant galaxy also beats out a time in the tree's gentle swaying. For those who are still paying attention, <laughs> the possibilities about why Zachariah responds in song after silence include the mode of Luke, his preference for having multiple hymns, the mystery we call God, and the marvel we call science, or some combination, or maybe all three. But then there are the Marys to consider. One of those Marys isn't in the text. It's the poet, Mary Oliver. It's possible that Zachariah came to the same conclusion as she did in her poem titled, Worried. 
I worried a lot. Will the garden grow? Will the rivers flow in the right direction? Will the earth turn as it was taught? And if not, how shall I correct it? Was I right? Was I wrong? Will I be forgiven? Can I do better? Will I ever be able to sing? Even the sparrows can do it, and I am, well, hopeless. Is my eyesight fading, or am I just imagining it? Am I going to get rheumatism, lockjaw, dementia? Finally, I saw that worrying had come to nothing and gave it up and took my old body and went out into the morning and sang. The other Mary is the Mary whose story we will turn to next week. Even though we read those texts separately, we cannot untangle their connection. In the verses just before the passage we read today, we find another song, Mary's Magnificat, which she sang before Zachariah sang his Benedictus. It might be that Zachariah heard Mary's song. She was in his home, his home that he shared with Elizabeth. And perhaps Mary's song is what began to thaw out his heart, to free his spirit and renew his hope. It might be that he overheard a pregnant, unwed girl sing of some really incredible things. And by incredible, I mean how hard would this have been for her to believe, and yet she did. She sang of the lowly being lifted up, of the hungry being filled with good things, and the rich sent away empty. And he caught her hope, despite the hardship and the hopelessness around them. Mary found a way to help the weary world Rejoice, and her song perhaps helped Zachariah find his voice. Luther Smith Jr., professor emeritus of church and community at Candler School of Theology, reminds us that singing is both a means to and a sign of personal transformation. Transformation to God-centered hopefulness and beloved community is hope's enlivening purpose. He tells us of an African saying, before the spirit can descend, a song must be sung. The power of song is professed as a means to be alive to the experience and purpose of the divine. Whether we are alone, gathered in worship, or on a protest march, singing transforms and readies us to experiencing the enlivening spirit of God. In the, new, in the Negro spiritual speaks of life and death, Howard Thurman writes that enslaved African Americans created songs that professed hope in God and that enabled them to live with hopefulness despite the horrors of slavery. Thurman concludes that the singing of these songs is a profound demonstration of the human capacity to trust in God's prevailing love and comforting assurance. 
He assesses these captive singers to be among the greatest religious thinkers of the human race. They made worthless life, the life of chattel property, worth living with their song, singing that enlivens our spirits to endure, persist, rest assured, and rejoice is a spiritual practice for hopefulness and becoming a people for justice and beloved community. The question is not asking, can you carry a tune? But do you have a tune that carries you? Hope feeds our insatiable hunger to sing a new song. Singing, in addition to being a literal spiritual practice, has figurative significance. Singing can also refer to how the body is being given to harmonizing with what is vital in life. Like music, life is lived with a sense of tempos, tonalities, rhythms, and improvisations. Every day, we compose our lives by how we live. Modes of, moods of happiness and despair, eagerness and boredom, love and indifference, courage and fear, celebration and grief. They all inform how our whole bodies voice our dedication to the art of living. Singing a new song is not just about the song. Primarily, the singing expresses that we are becoming new. This week, if you feel like there's not a song in your heart, intentionally find a tune that will carry you. This could mean literally listening to music, carols, or a production of Messiah, or something on the radio that prompts you to play air guitar. Like Zachariah, overhearing someone singing may be just what you need to join in. Or you may need to go outside and watch the wind blow through the trees to be reminded that you are already carrying the universe's song in your soul. You may need to take off your shoes, for wherever we are standing is indeed holy ground and a holy song. Maybe it's a matter of looking at those suitcases that are filled with worry and dread and then leaving them sitting on the floor as you walk out the door, because as the Buddhists say, it's not heavy if you don't pick it up. <laughs> Besides, if you leave that worry there, then like the poet, you can take your body out into the morning and sing. Trust that there is already a song in your hearts, beloveds, and commit to singing it. If not for yourself, then for the people you love. For your singing might help someone else find their voice again. This, dear church, is how a weary world rejoices. So let's sing. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Rev. Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. 
More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.